Welcome to another vital message from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. We're in the book of Mark. We've been going through a series in the book of Mark, and we're going to be in the book of Mark on chapter 2 this morning. And this morning, the title of our message is A Future and a Hope. Man, that's what everybody needs, isn't it? Everybody needs a future and a hope, right? Sure. You know, uh, let me just tell you while you're finding Mark that God is, uh, you know, uh, God is not thinking like you are thinking. Unless, of course, you are thinking like he's thinking. Okay? <laughs> In other words, most likely you and God don't have the same opinion about some things. Unless, of course, you have heard from him and you agree with him. Now, how do we hear from God? Well, the same way we've always heard from God. We hear by his Holy Spirit impressing us with the truth, and then it's confirmed in his word. That's the way it's always been. Well, this morning, as I said, we're going to continue in our series in the book of Mark, and I want you to open up your heart and open up your mind to let God tell you what he thinks about some things today, because today God wants to leave us with a future and a hope today, all right? And, uh, uh, and also, you may have heard that this morning, before we conclude, we are going to hear from a real, bona fide, tried and true prophet, okay? So... Uh, some of you may have heard that. I said that on Wednesday evening. Well, hold on. We're going to get there, okay? In Mark, the second chapter, uh, Jesus, of course, is, 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 is beginning his ministry, and he's calling his disciples. And by the time we get down to, to verse 13 in Mark chapter 2, Jesus is about to call a disciple that, that our, our translation is going to call Levi, but uh, we know him as Matthew, the tax collector, as well. All right, let's read this then. Then Jesus went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, we know as Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So Matthew arose and followed Jesus. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house. He went to Matthew's house to have dinner that evening as as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples for there were many and they followed him verse 16 and when the scribes and Pharisees saw Jesus eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? What's he doing hanging around those people? Those people, you know, are our enemies and his enemies. Tax collectors are our enemies, and, and, uh, and you know, sinners are his enemies. What in the world is he doing hanging around these people? Well, verse 17, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, bear in mind this morning that Jesus is not afraid of tax collectors and sinners. 
Okay? He was not then and he is not today and nor should we be. In fact, you know, the opposite is actually true. The main desire of Jesus is to still today get as close to sinners as he can get. Okay? It's still his desire to absolutely get as close to people who are not doing things they should do as he can possibly get. So hopefully they can hear him and begin to follow him. And, uh, you know, uh, many of them, the Bible tells us, as Jesus, you know, just took the time to sit with them and share with them and spend time with them, many of them, and there were many, the Bible says. Let me tell you, when you begin to reach out to sinners, and I guess the IRS, when you begin to reach out with Jesus, <laughs> some of you need some more IRS friends, um, when you begin to reach out to people that you might think are, you know, connected to, in this case, the government, in this case, doing something that you felt like was unfair and maybe they had more privilege because they, their salary was dependent upon how much they could get out of you. Okay? They got to keep a percentage. Isn't that amazing? Uh, or many times, well, they actually bid for the office and said how much we will give you back. You know, what we will pay the Roman government. If you'll let me be tax collector, I'll pay the Roman government a salary. That's how it was. And so they won the contract. And so, you know, uh, in, 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 in this particular instance, there were many of them. Do you know when, 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 when people find out that you are not judgmental, critical, not condemning, when you are not a part of that hateful group, do you know a lot of people who just need a little understanding, need a little love, or perhaps people who are already wrestling with things in their own life? Maybe, they, maybe you know, Levi, you know, who knows he may not have felt too good about himself because he was certainly shunned in his own community but they came and they ended up following him the way Jesus thought and the things that Jesus did often opposed what others believed he should do do you know sometimes what we do seems like it really offends or hurts the feelings of other people not everyone thought like Jesus thought not everyone believed that Jesus should be hanging around you know people who were sinners or tax collectors and Jesus the things he did often offended people he offended the Pharisees he offended the Sadducees he offended the priest he offended I mean there was hardly any group of people that felt as though that Jesus should you know do what he was doing always they felt like he ought to feel like they feel and he you know you ought to you know you're you're my savior you're my you know you're you're my messiah you should think like I think well that's just not the way it worked <laughs> Ever since Cain killed Abel in the very beginning of history, people have had divided opinions over what they think others should say, what they think others should do, and how they think things should go. These divisions have caused a lot of problems. However, there is one voice which should be above the arguments and the opinions which often divide us, and that one voice is the voice of God, the voice of our Savior. About 600 years before Christ, take a little step back with me, okay? Now, this division's been going on for a long time. In fact, I dare not even vote on things in our church. Why? Because if you're not watchful, you'll have 40 against 60. Hello? Come on. Or you'll have, you know, um, 80 against 20, or you'll have 50 against 50. What do you do with that? Well, because, you know, uh, opinion-driven you know, uh, 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 groups many times end up 
dividing and sometimes violently. It was so 600 years before Christ. 600 years before Christ, there were two opposing political groups in Israel. One group, and by the way, these opposing groups were violently divided. They were two political parties. There was the pro-Egyptian party. I know for some of you I'm giving you history that you're unaware of, but go with me on this. This is the truth, and you can read about it in the Bible. Okay? There was the pro-Egyptian party, and there was the pro-Babylonian party. Some people liked Babylon, and some people liked Egypt. Well, the reason being, just a little quick history, is that uh, at one point, y'all know where Syria is probably, the Assyrian Empire, which is to the north and east of Israel, at one time the Assyrian Empire ruled the whole Middle East. And Babylon was a province of Assyria. It was just one capital state in Syria. And then, along about 605 or so, Babylonians rose up and they ended up you know, uh, rebelling against Assyria and conquering Assyria. And so now this new Babylonian empire was now you know, uh, the, the, the thing to reckon with. So there was a Babylonian empire to the north of Israel, and there was an Egyptian empire to the south of Israel. The Egyptians said, oh no, the Babylonians have gotten strong. They have overcome Assyria, and if we're not watchful, they're going to swallow up all the land. And so the Egyptians marched northward, and they started claiming all the land that they could claim. You know, and, and, and most of the land between Egypt and Babylon belonged to Israel. And so they said, we got to claim it, and we got to, you know, claim the people, and we got to, you know, um, and so, you know, I mean, King Josiah went out to fight against the Egyptians, and he died at the Battle of Megiddo, 601. And so the Egyptians, you know, they said, it's ours. Well, you know, it wasn't but just a little bit. Here come Nebuchadnezzar with the Babylonians, came down. And he defeated the Egyptians. And so now the land of Israel belonged to King Nebuchadnezzar. That's the point where King Nebuchadnezzar took Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, uh, you know, Daniel, back to Babylon. Well, he put in a king there who was a descendant of, of, of King David. And this king paid tribute to Babylon for four years. After four years, guess what? The Egyptians ended up on top again. <laughs> and so, the king stopped paying money to Babylon. Well, wouldn't you know it? Here come the Babylonians again. 597, 598, you know? And they went again. <laughs> and they end up, you know, putting that king's eyes out and taking him and his family, killed his sons, took him and his family, the rest of the family, back to Babylon and took Ezekiel with him. Put in another king. I mean, you can see this back and forth and back and forth. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Babylonians. I mean, some people had, had their family living in Babylon and they were pro-Babylon because Babylon was doing pretty good for their family. 
Some people, the Babylonians had killed their family. So they hated Babylon. They liked Egypt because Egypt had rescued them from Babylon. But then Babylon had rescued them from Egypt. And so here we had the group of Jews, the Jewish families, living here in, in Israel some of them were pro-Egyptian, and some of them were pro-Babylonian, and they were violently opposed to one another. Two political parties. And depending on which king and which administration was in power in Jerusalem meant that one of those two groups would also be in power. And they would either favor the Egyptians and the people who like the Egyptians against the Babylonians, or they would favor the Babylonians against the Egyptians, and people who favor the Egyptians were out. Y'all, do you get the picture? Okay? Well, uh, we're going to stop right there for the sake of time and brain freeze, because if I tell you too much more, I'll lose you, okay? <laughs> Some of you I already lost whenever I said history. But suffice it to say that they went back and forth and back and forth, defeating one another every few years. And so the people of Israel ended up with some family. Some of them had family here. Some of them had family here. Some of them, these people killed. Some people, it was, it was, you know, but they were divided. Into this mix, this crazy, mixed up, deeply divided world, into this mix, there was a prophet born named Jeremiah. He was called by God as a young man to preach repentance and redemption. If you straighten up, things are going to be okay. If you don't, things are going to be bad. Back and forth, back and forth. Jeremiah was neither pro-Babylon nor pro-Egypt. Jeremiah was pro-God. And for that, he was always in trouble. No matter who was in power, he was on the outside. <laughs> Does that make sense? Okay, y'all got the picture here? You know, Jeremiah saw the big picture. Uh, you know, he, he saw the plan of God. While many from these two opposing political parties saw only what they wanted, they believed only, their, you know, that they only listened to their favorite sources and only believed what their sources told them. Because, you know, who would want to listen to anybody else who had a different opinion than what I got? Come on. So they all had their own prophets. Are you with me? The pro-Egyptians had their prophets, and the pro-Babylonians had their prophets. And both of these prophets were prophesying things that were, up, that, 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 you know, I mean, uh, what do you do? Well, God called Jeremiah to be above this. Jeremiah served as a prophet in Jerusalem under the reign of five kings. Why so many kings? Well, because they kept getting killed. <laughs> they kept getting taken captive. You know, I mean, uh, they, they, they you know, blinded. Their families were persecuted, depending on what camp they were in. They were imprisoned. They were exiles. Their friends were executed and led away captive. I mean, who in the world would ever want to be king of a nation like that? Even king of Israel in such divided times. Who would want to be the leader of just the next problem? Hello? Boy, doesn't the Bible kind of like overlay where everybody is in every generation? Sure it does. 
Well, it seems that one of the kings who was pro-Egyptian and his administration was pro-Egyptian, there was one of his counselors, one of his key, if you will, cabinet members that heard Jeremiah prophesying and it sounded like Jeremiah was pro-Babylonian. And so what that counselor did is he went to the king and he said, listen, you need to arrest that prophet. That prophet is saying things that sound pro-Babylonian to me. So they arrested Jeremiah with the intent of executing him. But the king says, well, we really shouldn't execute. I mean, I mean, because there are a lot of people out here who really like him. So let's don't execute him. Instead, let's just throw him down a well and let him starve to death. Then we'll be rid of him and we'll still have plausible deniability before God and before the people. I mean, you read it in the Bible. I am not making this up. It's right there, okay? Isn't that interesting? Wow. Well, as things would have it, Jeremiah, when he went down in the well, he only got stuck in the mud, the Bible says. There are so many great sermons in this thing, but we got, we, we're, we're, we're pressing through for a greater uh, a word today from this prophet. He only got stuck in the mud, and he was there for a while until another prisoner came by. And the prisoner, the Bible says, was from Cush. Now, I don't know why God wanted to point this out, but when God points out something interesting in the Bible, you know, I, 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 I take note. The word Cush in Hebrew means black. Now, I don't know why God pointed out that this Cushite, this Ethiopian, came by and, and pulled this Jewish prophet up out of the mud and, and rescued him and saved his life. But God saw it necessary to write that there and to make that identification. I find it very interesting. Well, two of my favorite Bible passages were later written by Jeremiah. One of, uh, one of my favorite passages in Jeremiah is, 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 you know, is in Jeremiah 1. It concerns the calling of Jeremiah. You, you probably know it. You know, God said to Jeremiah, you know, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And before you camest out of the womb, I had sanctified you and ordained you a prophet to the nations. Oh, I love that, you know. Oh, it gives me strength. Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And before you came out of the womb, I had already sanctified you and called you. I had already ordained you and anointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Wow. Jeremiah said, oh, I'm just a child. God said, don't say you're too young. Don't say you're too immature. Don't say you're not educated enough. I'm telling you, I have put my words in your mouth. He goes on to say, do not be afraid of the faces, for I am with you, says the Lord. Wow. I'll deliver you. I put my words in your mouth. I've ordained you to pull down and pluck up and tear down and destroy and then build and plant. Oh, you can read about it. What a, what a powerful word. It gives us hope that also, you know, before we were formed in the belly, you know, God knew us. Isn't that neat? Yeah. I love that. I love that thought. Well, the other favorite passage of mine from the book of Jeremiah is one of the most quoted but perhaps one of the least fully understood scriptures in the Bible. 
you probably know it well. It's Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's where the title of this message came from. You probably recognize that. I mean, how many times have you heard, read, quoted, prayed that you understood that God is thinking about you? I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good, not of evil. Thoughts of good, not of disaster. To give you a hope and an expectation, a future and a hope. Wow, how powerful, huh? This scripture tells us how much God loves us, how much God thinks about his children. It, it, it tells us how God is determined that he's going to do us good. God is determined that he's going to bless us. God is determined he's going to give us a future. You know, uh, uh, and, and, and he does not want us to lose hope. Wherever we are, God does not want us to lose hope. God is a God of second chances and how God, you know, wants us as a church to make sure that we continue to give people chances to lift them up and give them an opportunity. We cannot, you know, determine what people do with their opportunity, but we can provide opportunity. Well, you know, uh, this scripture here shares with, with, with us just how much God loves us. I love the thought of this verse because it gives me hope for the future. This morning, I would like to put this verse this scripture verse into context I am aware that many people quote this and have it hanging on their you know uh, um, um, out of their promise box hanging on their mirror or, or wherever on the sun visor of their car wherever they may have it I know the thoughts I think toward you says the Lord thoughts of good not of evil not of disaster I want to, you know, give you a future and a hope. Let's put this into context this morning. Okay? Jeremiah chapter 29, that particular chapter, contains two letters from Jeremiah. Now remember, Jeremiah is living in Jerusalem. And he is, he is in between two political divisions at this particular time. The Babylonians have carried people away captive. And there's a whole group of Jews living in Babylon. And when they thought the Egyptians would protect them against the Babylonians, the Egyptians could not. And so there are people living in Egypt. And there are people that are anti-Babylon and people that are pro-Babylon. But here is Jeremiah, pro-God. And Jeremiah is hearing what the sources are saying. He's hearing, you know, two sources. He's hearing people who are saying that, you know, God is going to destroy the Babylonians. God is going to deliver you and bring you back. God, in, in t specifically, the prophet Hananiah, in two years, God will change everything and he'll judge Babylon and Babylon will have to let you go and you'll all come back and, and, and er everything will be like it was and better than it was. Just give it two years. That's what, that's what some of the prophets were prophesying. In fact, you know, they were angry at Jeremiah that he wasn't agreeing with them. And it's into this thing that Jeremiah writes two letters, both of them in, in chapter 29 
And both of these letters are sent to the people who are being held captive in Babylon. Sent to those who have been taken to a foreign land. Those who, the psalmist said, have hung their harps upon the willow trees and have refused to sing the songs of Zion. For how can we sing the songs of Zion when being held captive in a foreign land? That's what, that was how they felt. Verses 1 through 14 contain one letter, and that one letter is to, these, to, to encourage the people in Babylon to know that God has not forgotten them. The second letter, verses 15 through 22, is aimed at the false prophets who are saying things that God has not said, and an encouragement to those Jews in Israel, in Egypt, and in Babylon to, to not believe false reports. Don't surround yourself with false sources. God's concern here is simple. He does not want His people to imagine that they don't have a part to play. He doesn't want them to think that he's going to wave some magic wand and everything's going to change. God doesn't want anyone to imagine that. He wants them to know that he has a plan. His intent is to get his children, however, to do the very best they can where they are with what they have under the conditions that, that, that exist and to prosper and increase in life. Now, just like Joseph in the land of Egypt, you know, he participated, he presented himself, and he participated, and God blessed him, and God increased him, even in the land of Egypt. We, too, must participate. We, too, must realize that God has something for us to do today. Whether or not you are in one group or another group, it really doesn't matter, because only what God has intended is going to happen. I wish I were a prophet and I could tell you that. At nighttime, I ask God, again last night, I ask Him, you know, fervently. I woke up in the nighttime two or three times and asked Him again, God, show me. Show me, Lord that I might know. And what he says to me is, I've given you my word. I guess he's saying, I have shown you, can't you see? <laughs> you know? Well, I realized that if today I were to have, a, you know, if today I woke up in a communist country in China or in North Korea, I would not set about to overthrow the government. Rather, I would preach Jesus Christ and His love and His forgiveness, and I would do my best to win souls. Which, by the way, is a little more dangerous than trying to overthrow the government. <laughs> okay? <laughs> well, Let's read what Jeremiah actually said 
to put Jeremiah 29, 11 into context for us today. Are you ready? Chapter 29, reading from the New Living Translation, verse 4. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Now bear in mind, this was going against the flow. This is what the Lord says to you in Babylon. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply and do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's army, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, said the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. And that's when verse 11 comes to bear. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days you will pray, I will listen. Those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly with all your heart, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I will bring you home again to your own land. Now, lest you misunderstand me, I am not saying and I do not believe that this is a definitive, finite word, word from God for our nation, for the situation, for our political divisions, or for the world. But I am saying, and let me be very plain what I am saying today, I am saying that we need to open up our hearts and minds to the overriding will and purpose of God wherever we may find ourselves, whether we are on an up day or a down day, whether we are a victor or whether we feel as though that we were included in the defeat, wherever you may find yourself today, let me tell you what the will of God. Listen to what this prophet is saying. Don't overread it, don't misread it, but don't discount your part. It is the will of God. Thus saith the Lord God Almighty. Now, there is a place I have to stand before God and answer for this in a little different fashion. The Bible admonishes me to be very watchful as one that must give an account unto God for how I lead his people. This is the will of God. For you, let me be plain, you 
Continue your life. Build homes. Plant gardens. Eat the fruit that they produce. Many people want to stop, be depressed, draw back, hang their harps up on the willow trees, sing the songs of Zion no more, refuse that, marry, have children, raise them to marry, enjoy grandchildren, increase and multiply in the land. Do not dwindle. Do not forsake the family of God. God did not want in that day in Babylon for Israel to, to just go away and end up, you know, cease being. He wanted them to multiply and increase because he knew the thoughts he had toward them, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give them a future and a hope, not to bring them into disaster or ruin. So I'm telling you, it is important that we multiply and that we do not dwindle away. Work for the peace and the prosperity of the United States of America or any country that you may be in today. Work for the peace and the prosperity of the place where God has placed you, in the place where God has you, in the umbrella, in the penumbra that God has covered you with. And pray to the Lord for the welfare of that nation. Do not allow political divisions. Do not allow isolated sources. Do not allow those who are opening their mouths in the name of the Lord, but yet have not been sent to Him. I am not saying it will be 70 years before something changes. I'm not saying it'll be 70 days. I'm saying I do not know what God has put in His plan, but I do know what He's put in my plan. I'm going to build houses and I'm going to plant gardens and I'm going to enjoy the fruit of my labor. I am going to lift up my head and pray and work for the peace of my nation. I'm not going to be a part of a division and a dividing. I'm not going to decrease. I'm going to increase and I'm not going to dwindle away because the welfare of this nation without regard to who sits upon the throne, the welfare of this nation is my welfare. If the nation does well, so will we. Give it your heart. Give it your best. God knows the plans he has for us. We have a part. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to participate. Give it your best. Give it your all. In the name of Jesus. And let God do what only God can do. And believe me, God can do. Jesus was not afraid of sinners. Jesus was not afraid of tax collectors. Not everybody thought Jesus knew what he was doing, but he did. And he knows what he's doing today. Don't be afraid of people who are not like you, even people who do not like you. It's time that we became pro-God and flourished in the land where God has placed us. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for another relevant word from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, 
receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.